This is Larie Daniel Favors, and welcome to The Hub. I felt I was part of the freedom struggle of black people. I was part of the ongoing struggle of the black community to establish itself, to obtain self-determination, to obtain dignity, and to obtain liberation. We are the original Wakanda children. The idea that we could bring the greatest musicians in the world to the East, and that they would perform in Bedford-Stuyvesant uh, right here was something that was unique. Nation building, of course, has to be built on institutions. Then we had our food store. Kanunawana Food Cooperative. Black News newspaper. Out of Black News, there became a, uh, a publishing company called East Publishers. Babazi Clothing Shop. East Records. We had a bookstore. The bookstore was called Akiba M. Koo. East Kitchen and Caterers. Sweet East Restaurant. Imani Child Development Center. Evening School of Knowledge. The International African Arts Festival. The East was filled with youthful exuberance. All the young people were basically very, very gung-ho. For me, I could say I was almost born again as a black man at the East. It was about building that self-esteem in us to be who we are as an African people and know that we have a right to be here. And so was it able to, you know, bring us to the promised land? No, of course not. Did it take us a few steps toward that and our liberation? Hell yes. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. You are listening to Larie Daniel Favors here on Sirius XM's Urban View, where talk empowers and becomes action. My guests for this hour, some folks I've been trying to get a hold of once I heard about this documentary. Teo Giwa and Cynthia Gordy Giwa are a husband and wife filmmaking team and the creators of Black Owned Brooklyn. Black Owned Brooklyn is a publication and Instagram account that documents local black businesses, history and culture and in this work uh, they seek to preserve and celebrate stories that are often erased in gentrified Brooklyn. Their debut film, the 2020 documentary short Soul Summit, do it in the park, examine Soul Summit and y'all if you have never been to a Soul Summit, my god, if you ever come to Brooklyn and you're here during the summer you need to participate in the joy that is Soul Summit. Uh, but this latest film, uh, their first feature The Sun Rises in the East is the result of simply being unable to shake the story of the East since they first learned about it. Now, uh, to both of you, this is going to be the first time a number of folks in our audience hear about the East. Uh, we had Mama Fela Barcliff, the proprietor of Little Sun People, on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so they got a little bit of teaser, but we didn't get to explore the amazing beautiful movement that we know affectionately affectionately in our city as the East. Talk with us about this institution and how it is that you stumbled upon it. Sure, I can start. Um, so we actually learned about the East as part of our work with 
doing Black Owned Brooklyn, which as you described is a, a website, um, an Instagram account that um, chronicles not only Black owned businesses in Brooklyn, but also local Black history and culture. Um, and our work there is really to make sure that contributions to Brooklyn are celebrated, are preserved um, and lifted up. Um, and so we were actually writing a story about the International African Arts Festival, yes. which is an institution that's been going on for 50 years now in Brooklyn. And in the research for that piece, we learned that it started as a school fundraiser for a group called The East that at the time we had never heard about. This was back in, I think, 2019. Um, and so the more we sort of dug into what the East was, we were really struck by how expansive it was. And despite all the things that they created and all of the ways that they contributed to the culture of Bedford-Stuyvesant to this day, um, all of the ways that they played a role in the Black arts movement, the Black power movement, um, their story is not widely known. So we just sort of took it upon ourselves that like, if we do a film, this has to be the focus of it. Yeah, I mean, just adding to that, I mean, doing the work that we do for Black Home Brooklyn, we're, you know, constantly interviewing business owners and community leaders. And, you know, we kept bumping up against these nuggets of of, of, of these little kernels of, of the East that would come about when we spoke to people in the community. I mean, whether or not they, you know, went to the Hurasasa Shule, which was the private school started by the East, or they went to programming put on by the East, or they were, you know, went to the jazz scene that the East conducted. I mean, there were just these different fragments. And so in this community, there's a lot of people who know about the East, um, but what we, you know, what, what, what really was fascinating to us is that the East was so big and they had so many different tentacles that, you know, no one had yet, at least in a sort of documentary film, tied all those loose strands together. And so what we were looking to do with this film is to show that this is a huge story. I mean, arising out of the Ocean Hill Brownsville strike, which in and of itself is a really big story. Yes. And then we're talking about the um, experiment, uh, the, the, the Black experiments in sound, right? And that this huge jazz scene where world-famous jazz musicians were coming to 10 Claver Place to perform uh, on a weekly basis. And then, you know, there was a school, there's a farm in Guyana, there was this International African Arts Festival where it was drawing people from all over the Black diaspora to Brooklyn. And, you know, that's just a little sprinkling of what the East did. And and so, you know, our, our, our in, in making this film, we wanted to sort of, put all these stories together and to, you know, make clear to folks in, in our community and beyond our community that this was all something that was created by the East and really by young people, yeah. you know, people right out of high school. Some of them is still in high school who created this multifaceted institution. And so it was just an extraordinary story that we felt such a responsibility to, to sort of bring to broader recognition. I gotta be honest with you, when you hear about what the East was able to accomplish, this group of young black people, um, many of them teaching for the first time and opening up institutions for the first time, but they were onto something. And just before you came on, today's Wednesday during Black Women's History Month. And so we honor a wild woman every Wednesday because we believe that well-behaved women, you know the phrase, don't make history. Uh, so Ella Baker was our wild woman honoree today. And she also recognized the power of working with young people 
organizing with young people. I don't know if it's because, you know, you, you're too young to know what there is to lose. <laughs> I don't know what it is about uh, the consistency of young people, be it in the civil rights movement and the, the uh, efforts to throw off colonial powers in the continent of Africa, throughout Latin America, but it is young people who are driving so much of the movement. And that is exactly what was happening with the East. But you mentioned also the Ocean Hill-Brownsville strike. Talk with us about this under-discussed um, moment in time that really helped to create the appropriate environment out of which a movement like the East could emerge. I can start. Sure. Um, so so there was a, a, a New York City-wide experiment in community control um, that one of the places that took place in was Ocean Hill-Brownsville in Brooklyn. Um, it was an experiment in which members of the community, including parents, um, other members of the community were allowed to have um, decision-making power in the education of their children. So, oh, wait, everything... I'm sorry. I, I just need to cut you up. You mean decision-making power as in we, the parents, can determine how we want our children to be educated, but we just happen to be Black? Exactly. Because typically so... when we hear that, it's a bunch of white parents saying that they don't want their kids learning anything about history that's going to make them feel bad. So I just wanted to clarify, they are not oh, the, the only ones. Okay, very good, very good. The exact we too. same conversation going on in 1969. Yes. Um, and this is also um, an alternative to, into, well, to busing, you know, black, some black students into white schools where they had to face hostile white communities who didn't really want them there. So they were saying, let's stay in our own communities and build up a curriculum that's relevant to our community um, that has black history, that has, um, you know, just like teachers that care about our students. Um, it was a good thing, you know, people thought it was great, <laughs> um, but it was ultimately dismantled um, by a largely white teachers union who, you know, felt like they weren't getting a due process in being in these classrooms. Um, so, I mean, that's sort of yeah. the genesis of the East. I mean, so, so you know, long story short, the, the community and, and the, the leaders in the community behind this experiment where they took control of the administration of the school, um, sought to reassign the existing teachers at the school who had been failing the students. This was an underperforming school in, in, in the Ocean Hill, Brownsville area of Brooklyn. And when those teachers were reassigned, um, you know, the uh, UFT, which is the teachers union, went on strike throughout the city. And it was a huge strike. And you know, in, in, in researching the film, as we were sort of putting together our narrative, one of the things that was most fascinating was the way in which the community and the administrators who were behind this experiment were, you know, depicted as radicals, the, the bad guys who are doing these awful things that they just want to poison their, these children with race hatred. And there's a lot of um, explosive language used yeah. around what these people were what the, what what our community was doing for its students right. and you know i think to your point um you know the conversation today is very much you know white communities oftentimes you know assume that they should have the ability to control their their school district and and and, and they do and then they do so easily and so this was kind of the inverse and this was at the height of you know the civil rights movement, the black power era. And, you know, to a lot of people, it was very scary to have a black community take control of their schools in this way. Mm. Um, and that was the, the, the community losing the 
the community control experiment because ultimately the governor forced these reassigned teachers back into the school. And it was from there that the uh, leading figure in the movement, G2AUC, yes. um, found a, 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 a private African-centered school in Bedford Stuyvesant. Yeah. Outside of the system. So let's pause there for just a second because I need people to make sure that they, they, there's a lot of kernels being dropped here, y'all. There's some breadcrumbs. I just need us to follow them on into freedom. So you had black community members who recognized that there were some teachers who were not from the community in the schools that and were perpetuating failure. They were not. They could not see the genius of our children. Shout out to the caller from earlier today, Tammy. This one's particularly for you. Uh, but they could not see the genius in our children. And the black parents and community members said, "I." Y'all got to go. You're bad teachers. You're failing our children. You cannot be here and force them out of the building. That's when whiteness does what it often does. It protects itself at every opportunity and it will adjust to your protest. So I'm letting y'all, I want to tease this out because a whole lot of y'all talking about what well, we got to take up, what's happening in the schools. Yes, but we also need to know the history about how some of those efforts have been put down in the past because it is not received the same way. G2AUC, who uh, my husband has, has considered considered someone just an inspiration in his path as an educator. G2AUC is the name of an ancestor now uh, who you will often hear invoked in uh, progressive education spaces in the Northeast. And as you mentioned, after coming out of that experience was like, all right, you know what? Keep your little funky school. We gonna go over here and create an education institution for our babies. Out of that seed comes the growth of the East. So if you can pick up the story for us there and talk with us about how these very young people were able to galvanize around that education of their children campaign and turn it into something that was just absolutely beautiful and is continuing to produce results today. So one of the things uh, that G2 Wayusi did, and one it, it was quite genius, is that he really focused on the celebration of Black culture, this Pan-African culture in central Brooklyn. And so one of the things they started with was this uh, jazz scene that took place in their initial headquarters in 10 Claver Place. And so jazz being the, you know, African-American classical music, right? This is the sort of Black music that was created in this country that is extraordinary. And so they created this club at, a, you know, basically in a, a two-story house where the world's most renowned Black jazz players would play weekly and the community would come to see them. It was just a celebration of our culture, of our, our talent. But then even beyond that, just celebrating our culture through music, you know, there is a sense, and you talk to people who came out of the East, you talk to people who were influenced by the East, G2 and a lot of the leaders in the East were really big on you know, focusing on the potential of students in our community, mm -hmm. this battle against white supremacy wasn't just, you know, protesting, you know, unjust laws, but it was also the sense that we have so much talent in our community yes. and it needs to be cultivated. And so, you know, so many people said, you know, I became a teacher because G2AC saw that in me, or I, I, I started off on this career because I was given this opportunity at the East and, mm -hmm. you know, this idea that we can cultivate this talent in our community was explosive to, wow. because so much rich talent just blossomed from this movement coming out of the school, coming out of these institutions that the, the East built because of this sort of, you know, belief in the innate talent in our community and, and, and letting people sort of 
push those talents to the best of their ability and not just thinking that they're just some another number which was the way that the existing school district teach that had treated them. Right. And one of the things that we try to show in the film, I mean, it's it's one thing to sort of tick off all of the businesses and institutions that they built, but at the heart of all of that was um, the East and G2AUC's vision on, or thinking about how do you attack the psychological root of mm. white supremacy? You know, it's about, it was about shaping black minds, um, shaping, Black belief in self um, and aspirations and using culture and music and the arts um, playing a role in all of that. Like how do, how do all these things wow. play a role in our, our, our liberation? It's, it's sort of a, a psychological thing, you know, it's a mental transformational work um, beyond just building these institutions, but behind all of those things were guided by this much bigger, um, this this much bigger goal towards liberation, starting in the mind and starting in belief in self and starting with self-determination. It kind of feels like you are suggesting that loving ourselves as black people and centering our culture and what makes us awesome and unique and doing the work of gaining some therapeutic approaches to healing from psychological internalization of white supremacy. It sounds like that's a solution that we should just do more of. I mean, is that is that sort of one of the lessons we can take from one of the many lessons that we can take from this film, this real life example of black people who resisted the white supremacist approach to governing in their community, created their own independent institutions. And out of it comes all of these many still uh, persistent organizations and ways of thinking and moving about the world in a different space. Could that possibly be a solution we should try to replicate? For sure. And then you know, just adding to that, I mean, you, you can see it sort of in the ongoing legacy of the East in, in, in central Brooklyn. You know, one of the things we talk about a lot is how central Brooklyn has some of the highest Black business ownership in all of the country. And, you know, th this idea that the, the Black folks in our community just have this sense of confidence and self, there's a, so much pride you know, we walk down Bedford-Stuyvesant and then the streets and we see flags covering trees with red, black, and green. Our, you know, the playground that our, our daughter loves the most is, is, is colored red, black, and green. There is something here. And, you know, we really believe that the East was part of instilling that love of self in this community that you still see today. And we, we see it in the number of Black entrepreneurship, just that pride and that confidence. And we don't think it came from, you know, nowhere. It's not a coincidence. Right. Uh, just for, you know, as an aside, I know that playground. I think we might be neighbors, y'all. <laughs> we might be neighbors. Uh, talk with us about deciding to take all of this information, what you were learning, what you were seeing, uh, and putting it in a documentary film. You guys, this is not your first time uh, uh, categorizing and cataloging our history in, in, in meaningful ways, which is the work that you do with uh, Black-owned Brooklyn. What made you decide to take the documentary route? Uh, what were some of the challenges that you faced there? And and um, when we gonna see this on the big screen, how can how can all the rest of us who did not get to go to the screening at the Brooklyn Academy of Music, I'm very jealous about that, how will we be able to see this film? Um, well, I'll start with the sort of making of the film and some of the challenges and the, the approaches that we took to it. Um, so in, in everything that we do, it's really important for us to tell these stories in the voices of the people who lived it. Um, versus, you know, us sort of crafting our own narrative and, and narrating it and with our own assumptions. Um, so almost every 
I mean, basically every word spoken in the film is, is from the perspective of people who founded the East or people who were students with the East directly. Um, so we focused first on finding as many founders um, or people of the founding generation who were in the early days of building it up from 1969 on. Um, some of them are spread all over the country at this point. So it was in a pandemic. Half of it was done in Brooklyn and the, the rest of them were all conducted through Zoom interviews um, wow. to the best of our ability to make it look as crisp and sharp as possible over a computer. Um, and that, you know, I think once you just sort of let people talk and tell their story, um, amazing things come out. So, I mean, that part of it was was easy. Um, stitching it together, you know, took took a lot of cutting and and editing, but um, I think we we got there. And that coupled with the East having tremendous access and tremendous trust from the members of the East with their story. So they shared with us all of their photos um, that they had. They shared with us like flyers from you know these this weekly jazz series that that Ty just spoke of, um, the covers of their their news magazine, the Black News. We had like this rich trove of artifacts that were shared with us um, that we were also to weave throughout um, the story. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, neither of us have like a, a formal background in filmmaking, right? We made our first film on Soul Summit. And after that, we, you know, we enjoyed that process. We were really in, in, proud of the film. And so we immediately turned to making a, a second film. And at first we thought we were gonna make a short on the East and, you know, we quickly discovered that the, the, the East story was way too big. And, you know, as we were doing some of these interviews, it just, you know, we realized we were recording things that were really historic, right? The, the, we were, were telling stories from founders in, in, in the East that, you know, we were just giving us goosebumps. Like we not only have to tell the story, but we have to tell this to the best of our ability. And so, you know, what we did with the film is that because there were so many different strands of what the East did, so much that it could be worthy of a feature film themselves from the jazz scene to the right. school, to the, to the school strike, but because it hasn't really been told in a broad way before, we, we thought since we were the ones to do this, we, we had to sort of tie these threads together so that everyone could sort of understand the origins of the East. And so telling this big story, trying to cover a whole lot of ground in, 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 in you know, over a decade of history, um, you know, obviously it was a challenge, but you know, we also wanted to make it entertaining, right? And you know, sometimes history, you know, lessons or, you know, history films can can be slow. And so I think for us, the the biggest challenge and, and, and the, the part that we're most proud of was to tell this deep history in a way that was captivating to people, to, to not only teach people, but make them entertained and, and make them proud of this mm. history. Yeah, the narrative is constantly moving. It's very kinetic. It's like they built this, they built, they you know, we, we wanted to keep it moving and fresh, um, even though it, it does condense a ton of information, you're always moving on to something new. What is it about you two? You, you said a couple of times, you know, we never made films before, so we decided we should do it. We categorize, you know, we, we have black on Brooklyn. Did you, did you plan this? Was this a part of your origin love story? How did you two beautiful, if y'all see, when y'all see the video of this interview, you're gonna see they're just beautiful black couple. How did you come together? How did you birth these visions? Uh, because you, it's not like you went to film school. It's not like, it just seems like there's something special about you two uh, that is creating all of this cultural content that is really instructive and empowering. What's your secret sauce? I mean, I, I have to give 
credit where credit is due. And that's really, Taya was the one who has really driven the ship when it comes to filmmaking. Um, you know, like you said, we, we did a short first and we were really proud of the short. And I felt like, yes, we can do this. And so let's do a short on the East. And when it, when it came to pass that we had too much information and the story was too big to really fit in a short film, um, Taya really pushed us to do a feature. And I was even skeptical at first that like we could handle that. I was thinking maybe we should like read a book or something first. And he was like, here's some books, here's some books, we can do it. Um, you know, I think Taya just has a lot of creativity and, and belief in us that really pushed us forward. Yeah, life is short, right? I mean, you know, we, we have two young daughters and, you know, you can always think about doing, you know, or talk about these things that you want to do. And I think we were both at the stage in our life where like, if there are things that you want to do, if there's a life that you want to be, a person who you want to be, then you have to do it. And mm. you, know, you can't just talk about it. There's this line in the film um, from Dewana Smallwood, who um, used to own a dance studio um, in Bedford-Stuyvesant. It was great. Um, My daughter went there. <laughs> it was fantastic. Oh, yeah. yeah she's amazing. She was yeah. a principal dancer at Ralph and Ellie. And, um, she went to the Hurasasa Shule, the school founded by the East, and she says, you know, in that school, they treated it as an insult if you had talent that you didn't use. Like if you mm. you had a write, but you weren't writing, you could dance, but you couldn't dance. And in many ways, you know, when we see the things that we're able to do with historical storytelling, it's like, we can do this, we can make films, and we don't do this for our community, then we're, I, we're not using our, our, our talent the way it should be. And mm. so for us, it was yeah. like, we have to do this. We don't really, you know, it's like almost like we don't have a choice. It's just like, we. this is something that we can do and we feel sort of, you know, this strong um, desire to express ourselves and our, our, our talent in this way. Sounds like you heard the tapping of the ancestors in your ear and was like, what we must do is respond. Uh, this is what must happen. <laughs> Uh, the film is The Sun Rises in the East. Now, I, I know that there was this massive screening. I'm still jealous that I could not get in to see the screening between all the things. Where will people be able to lay eyes on this film? I know that your goal is to, to keep it on the big screen. Uh, it, so it's not on a YouTube reel. Y'all don't worry about going to YouTube unless you're following my YouTube page. But don't worry about going to YouTube. It's not there. Talk to us about how people will be able to participate in this beautiful uh artistic rendering of the east well yeah i mean we're, we're on the festival circuit so we're, we're going to start announcing our, our festival screening soon um so it, it should be available for screening in, in cities um you know throughout the country in, in, the, in the coming months um in the coming year and then um if you live in new york city we're planning at least two public screenings throughout the summer oh and hopefully great. more i mean we we, we want to do like big public screenings so that the community can see it this isn't a film that we want to like tuck away for only certain audiences this is really a community endeavor and so you know we're, we're definitely gonna have big large outdoor screenings this summer for people in brooklyn well, you know, not for nothing, but Meg Rivers College does have an amazing theater. Um, I'm just saying, if you needed a place in central Brooklyn, uh, you know, I know some people who might know some people. I'm just saying, it's an option. It's an option. Uh, the film is The Sun Rises in the East. It is an amazing uh, depiction of a real pivotal historical moment in our history. And I say our because even though this happened in Brooklyn, it real. I mean, as they said, the folks from the East are now spread all over the place. Um, I have personally 
known and, and loved a significant group of friends who were children of the East. They went to the Uhuru Sasa Shule, and I have family members who were also coming up uh, in Brooklyn at this time who are a part of groups like this. And so I know personally just how dynamic these sorts of gatherings and and coming together of people with a purpose. And the fact that that line, it is an insult to have a talent and not use it. I think that is something that is instructive for all of us. As you, you know, just in the few seconds that we, or a few minutes that we have left, as you think about some of the things that you learned or observed in the course of making this film that stuck with you most, uh, talk with us about your, your most vivid memory. Uh, Cynthia, we can start with you. From this film, something that stuck out to you the most that people most people do not know about, but will really come to appreciate after they get to see this film? Um, I mean, I, I think um, the the electricity of the jazz scene, I mean, you think mm -hmm. of jazz kind of as like, some people think of jazz as, you know, more highfalutin music. I don't know, you don't think of it as like a raucous sort of rollicking <laughs> adventure, um, but that that's what the East was known for. The culture of the live jazz scenes at the East was like no other place in America. Wow. Um, and so the kind of um, atmosphere and unique culture that they were able to create there, when you hear them talk about it and then you listen to the actual music that was playing there, mm. it really comes alive in a way that, that makes it really special. Um. And, and for me, I, I think just like the age of, of, of the people who founded the East is just remarkable. I mean, you know, these were 20 year olds. I mean, the older people in, in sort of the, the, the founding generation of the East, they were like, you know, in their mid twenties, right? The, these are just young people right. who had a belief and they worked together and they're willing to, to put in hard work to create institutions. And it just shows you what's possible that if you work with your friends and you're committed, mm. you can create institutions that will last generations. We're still talking about the East. And that was, you know, 50 years ago when they were founded. And so it just shows you what's possible if you're willing to work with like-minded people for a goal. I love it. I absolutely love it. I'm so grateful that y'all have put this together. Tayo Giwa, am I saying your last name correct? Is that proper? Yes. Yeah, correct. You know, correct the sister if I'm wrong. Tayo <laughs> Giwa, uh, Cynthia Gordy Giwa, husband and wife filmmaking team, the creators of Black Owned Brooklyn. Uh, people can just go to Instagram.com slash Black Owned Brooklyn. Is that how they can connect with you? I know your website is BlackOwnedBrooklyn.com. We want to make sure folks can connect with you uh, after the show. Yeah, and Instagram, Black Owned, B-K-L-Y-N. Black-owned B-K-L-Y-N. You guys are amazing. Thank you for this work. When y'all see the video, you're going to see how beautiful they are. God bless y'all. Thank y'all for centering the story of the East. Thank you for Thank having you us. It's great. Absolutely.